Welcome to episode 12. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm such an ungracious corrector. Should have just kept going with that. Try again. Welcome to episode 11 of Caucasus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. I'm Andrew. And I'm Eli. And this is Christy. Hi. Woo! That's my wife. We're bringing in a special guest today right from the beginning. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks. So, Christy, do you have any true confessions you want to make to people about um, how many of our podcasts (laughs) you've listened to so far? I'd like to leave the room right now and just let you guys sort this out. I haven't listened to any yet. But But she's been very supportive of what we're doing. Incredibly supportive. We're in her house, which is also your house. Yes. But that takes her support. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you guys have turned my guest bedroom into a recording studio, so I feel like that counts. Thanks for your support, Uh your undying support, Christy. You haven't listened Uh, to any of them? I helped record one earlier. Oh. Does that count? Yeah, you will be hearing Christy's uh, dubbing over translating skills in a later episode. That's right. Yeah. Sneak peek. It has to do with literature. That's right. We, we know there's some Russian literature buffs out there, and we've got a good, good one coming up from you. Um, so anyways, Christy, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so some of you are probably wondering, why is Christy on this podcast? Uh, what is she doing here? Some of you are probably thanking your higher power that Christy is here. Like, yeah, save these guys. They yes, yeah, we, we wanted to class it up for one. Uh, but uh, our last episode, we talked about who is the Caucasus man. Ideal Caucasus man. And of course, because Eli and I are men, uh, we're the experts on that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, but you know, we didn't want to be those guys who uh, have a podcast and two guys talking about women, like we know everything. So we thought it'd probably be good to bring a woman in here to help us have a discussion about women. Now I'm just going to point out the obvious. She's not a Caucasus woman. That's true. So I have spent a lot of time with Caucasus women in the past two and a half years. Exactly right. So even I'm just, I'm, I'm playing the other side for the listeners. Well, why didn't you bring in a Caucasus? Because we want to bridge the gap here. So yeah. Christy's going to help us do it. I will say Christy could easily pass as a Russian woman. She's got the blonde hair. She's kind of got the look, and she speaks really good Russian. Um, so that's closer to Caucasus woman than we are to Caucasus men, I would say. Definitely granted. Yes. Okay. So before we go into this discussion, let me make two disclaimers. Um, first, we're here. This is pre-disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> Big picture. Uh, we are here to basically talk about the strengths and good qualities of Caucasus women. So disclaimer one, this is not a discussion about religion. Uh, one, because there are many religions represented here in the North Caucasus. Very important. Point. Um, many of the different Caucasus nationalities um, are adhere to Islam, but there are also several that adhere to Christianity and as well as other religions. Um, and and there, are, there are others as well. So, um, this is not a, uh, when we talk about the Caucasus woman, we're not just talking about, uh, qualities specific to one religion. And then this is definitely not at all meant to be a discussion about the pros and cons of gender roles and traditional role and tra- traditional versus modern society. So we're not trying to come in and like subtly cast our vote 
for or against one side or the other. That's right. This is more descriptive. We want to be descriptive, but celebratory. I mean, yeah, and but we do want to affirm the qualities of Caucasus women. Is everybody on the good same page? Those are great. I'm taking a nice big deep breath. <sighs> don't be don't be bringing y'all strong opinions into my into my <laughs> studio. Just kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, I do want to say we're gonna have this in the show notes. There is a hilarious picture on the internet. It's a meme uh, of. It's not a Caucasus woman, but it's a Russian woman. It has a picture of four American Marines struggling to hold up this log together. And then it has one Russian grandmother just carrying the log like, like it's a normal day. And uh, it just, it's basically like American men versus Russian women. And I just want to say, I think it's a stereotype in America, like Russian women that are very strong. Yeah. Like, uh, and, uh, I think there might be even some crossover. People might think, oh, Caucasus women are like that. Uh-huh. It's just really funny. You guys will have the link in the show notes. Okay, so, all right, before we even start talking about Caucasus women, let, I think it would be good uh, pre-discussion discussion. Uh, <laughs> I'm just making up words today <laughs> to talk about traditional versus modern society because uh, we are from the West. We're from America who, I mean, most people I think would agree if you categorize societies into traditional versus modern or contemporary, America would be categorized as modern. Uh, Andrew, I thought you just said that we're not, this is not a discussion on on traditional versus modern. We're not debating. I'm trying to like build a A basket. Yeah, like a framework or spectrum. Okay. Uh, Because that's helped me think through even where does everybody fall, you know? Uh, Probably in general, uh, Caucasus women maybe would be more towards, uh, and Caucasus society in general, towards traditional society, at least historically. So let's talk about traditional and modern society. How would you guys, just thinking right now, by the way, listeners, I haven't like prepped them on this, so we're kind of just talking off the cuff. Sight unseen. Talking off the cuff here. Raw response. Uh, How would you describe... uh, what is either the stereotype or what you picture as a woman in traditional society? Like, what is her role? What does she do? What is she like? Any traditional society. That's right. Just in general. Just kind of vague, generic. I mean, I think traditionally the role of woman is wife, mom, like the home. Okay. In traditional society, home is central to woman's place in the world. Okay. More than like workplace or career. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think my wife is a midwife, so I have a lot of exposure to birth and also birth practices um, throughout history because she's done a lot of study and shared a lot of that with me. And so Mm. because women give birth, as this is a fact, that um, I think the (laughs) thing is naturally connected to that, children and then child rearing in home. So uh, tied to most Uh naturally to the traditional role. But I also think... unexpected thing about traditional roles and you could completely disagree with this but i think traditional roles of women that they are often like socially less visible but um wield wield is maybe the right word a lot of of social power um through their home and through their families good yeah those are those are good insights um yeah i mean i from all that like stay at probably if you're thinking traditional home you Traditional society, you're thinking stay-at-home mom. Main job is to raise kids, take care of their home, 
cooking and cleaning. And like Eli say, maybe they have less of a voice in public society, um, but they probably have a bigger voice at home. And then one other thing I had about that was often in traditional societies, women, women and men will interact and build relationships separately. Like women with women often spend time together mm-hmm. and men and men usually spend time. There's less of the intersex. Mm-hmm. Is that the right word? Co-ed. Co-ed. Yeah. Relationship building. Uh-huh. Okay, good. All right. So that's kind of overview of traditional. How about modern society? What would you say, how is that different, like uh, the role or place of women in modern society? Yeah, I would. The first thing that comes to mind, I, you know, reflective of, of U.S. and Western society, is a, a key value of egalitarianism, meaning that um, one's physical gender shouldn't determine or limit one's social um, opportunities and roles. Okay. So there would be a, a leveling of distinction in roles in mm. society between men and women. Often, like in workplace, yeah. especially. Yeah, Inclu- and the other way, too, domestically too. You know, stay at home, yeah. dads, those kinds of things. I gotcha. Think. Okay. Define it. Yeah, cool. I agree. Anything else you would add to that? As our uh, resident woman expert, Christy. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think typically in modern society, women don't want to be. What, often women don't want to be what they see as stuck in like traditional gender roles. Like they uh, want to have the ability to choose, like if they want to choose to be a stay at home mom, great. But if they want to choose to have a career, that's good. Like they want more hmm. um, just kind of freedom and ability to choose their own yeah. role instead of having a pres- pre-prescribed role that society chooses for them. Which is so funny gotcha. because like if you watch 1950s ads about like futuristic homes and, and the <laughs> modern woman, this is before the sexual revolution when the actual, you know, moder- when actual modern women came out, it's like, oh, it's stay-at-home mom, but like the ironing board lowers automatically. And she sort of like <laughs> gestures across the kitchen and things move and start cooking. It's like, it's like just a technologically enhanced tradition. We can... I'm sure on YouTube we can find some of those oh, commercials. They're, they're rich. We'll, well, let's not go there. We'll, maybe we'll include one of those in the show notes. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, any, the only thing I would add to that would be, yeah, so often the in modern society there may be that tension where the workplace and home is kind of pitted against each other or mm-hmm. like Christy was saying, women have more of a choice. And so that that could mean having kids – as more of an option. Some, some women may not want that as much. Um, yeah. Kind of less responsibility kind of in the home life. Good. Okay. So that's kind of basic framework, modern traditional society. Um, yeah. So that'll just segment us. And in general, I think we could all agree for the most part, honestly, Caucasus men and Caucasus women fall more probably on the edge of traditional society. Well, and when we talked with Nauru's, our interview, yeah. uh, Khalid, um, a couple episodes ago, That's he right. definitely, you know, personally, he, we asked him, where do you fall? He's like, I'm way traditional, you know? Yeah, he actually, he brought that up. That was really interesting. That's right. That's yeah. right. So that's at least one voice, you know, uh, uh, from kind of insider hmm. voice who affirms that. Good. So we're go- what we're going to do is uh, we're going to just ask Christy to share some of her experiences with Caucasus women here. Um, we are gonna, uh, I was, I had a lot of conversations with some of my, uh, Caucasus women friends here and some guys actually too, about who are famous Caucasus women hey, in history. Can talk about those? There are some 
we got a lot of interesting uh, figures, and I'm just going to mention a couple here um, just to kind of give you an overview. Uh, one is a uh, famous Assetian or Assetian, Assetian. I've heard people say it differently in English, but she's uh, from Assetia. Her name is, uh, in English, you would say Veronica Dudorova. No, we would not. We would say Veronica. <laughs> oh, Veronica Dudorova. But in Russian, no it'd be Veronika Dudarova. They would say Veronika? Veronika Dudarova. Oh, wow. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Andrew's so been here a long I'm confusing time. my languages Veronica even. Veronika Dudarova. Yeah, but she, it's kind of like right now or uh, recently was the U.S. Open tennis tournament. And a famous, the most famous Russian woman's tennis player is, in English, it's Maria Sharapova. Oh, yeah. In Russian, it's Sharapova. Sharapova. Yeah, so Dude. like. They uh, laugh at how we say it, and yeah. we laugh at how they no, say it. Just yesterday, though, those emph- those syllable emphases were just ruining me. I was trying to find a <laughs> uh, uh, a tailor for clothes, and I put it on the wrong thing, and the woman stared at me like I was speaking like Martian with a slur. I mean, it was just like <laughs> you. And I finally just Do looked up my Martian? phone and showed it to her, and she's like, said the exact same word with the emphasis on it. <laughs> yes. Thing. Like, oh. Anyway, been there, done <laughs> so, that. Many so times. who was Veronica? Okay, so she was a famous. Uh, uh, symphony conductor uh, the 20th century she was the conductor of the Moscow State Symphony Orchestra from 1960 to 1989 and she founded and conducted the Symphony Orchestra of Russia 1991 to 2003 now this is really interesting Yeah, I'm not going to go on about conductors but classical music is overwhelmingly male dominated mm. and I have a one one liner quiz for you, Andrew. Uh oh. Yeah, because Andrew likes giving me quizzes. And music music is not my field. So uh, a woman named Marin Alsop became the uh, a conduct the conductor of the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, mm-hmm. and she was recognized as the first female conductor of a major U.S. symphony orchestra. And what year did she start that role? And I'll give you a hint: it ends with the number seven. <laughs> Just uh, guess. I'm gonna say 2007. Yes. Boom. Nailed it. Let's go. So here I we had have no idea. In, that was a guess. In Soviet Russia, yep. she started uh, Veronika Dudarova or Dudorova. Dudarova in Dudarova Russia in 1960, and she held that post for beep, boop, boop, that's boop, interesting. Boop, 29 years. Yeah. So that's just a really interesting comparison. Yeah, wow. US and and Russian. Fun fact. Fun fact. So yeah, so she was uh very influential uh in Russia with uh in the musical field. Uh another is a 4th century queen of Armenia. Going way back. Paranjim? Paranjim? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, but no one's going to correct you. Anyways, she's dead. a really famous figure in Armenian history. Uh, Paranjim. What Eli means is everybody's going to correct me uh, for my mispronunciation. Um, so that's there's an Armenian representative, fourth century queen, very famous in Armenian history. Then uh, how about a uh, Circassian or Circassian Kabardine representative, Elmas Khan? Kagandakova. Man, you <laughs> flowed right through that. Like this lady is. This was oil. the one, most interesting one to me. She was 
in France. She lived in France in the 1920s and she was a really famous uh, like fashion kind of icon. Uh-huh. But then she fought in World War II and won medals as a part of the French resistance in North Africa. Sorry? Yes. So this is a really good ramp up to our, uh, you know, who is the Caucasus woman? <laughs> she was a fashion designer who then fought in World War II. Basically, yeah. And the French and let she women was, fight? She was really, she was rewarded like with medals of honor and stuff. I mean, was she, how do, I mean, maybe you don't know, but like was she in the infantry? Did she like... Or was she support? That's role? my understanding. She like led campaigns. Dang. Yeah. Uh, so, do you anyways. know what that reminds me of? This is totally off topic. Almost off. I did a research paper in high school on pirates, hmm. on buccaneers and like the golden age. And there are these two famous women pirates, but they dressed up like men so that they could have uh-huh. freedom to move around. But they were like really fierce. And right before they killed people they would rip their shirts open to show that they were women and then kill them <laughs> wow <laughs> i mean what a comparison <laughs> i just i don't know maybe that shouldn't have come to mind right now but just the idea of, yeah so backtracking <laughs> no filter love it uh, i can edit this Let's if you it. ever had doubts that this is a scripted podcast <laughs> you you should not after that if you've ever had doubts that eli has any kind of script ever uh they're confirmed that I good don't. so she was circassian that's really interesting uh one of my male friends that has actually talked to me a lot about uh a 12th and 13th century queen of georgia called tamar uh but she is very famous she's actually been canonized by the georgian orthodox church holy righteous queen tamar but she was a really strong leader in their Whoa. history um, That's really like influential. Different than just saint. Yeah, I mean, think about it. She, they're still talking about her in a lot of ways 800 years later, you know? Like, so she was a really famous figure. And then a, a, Dag- a famous Dagestani figure. Uh, in English, if you read her name, it looks like 2D Bike. <laughs> uh, and if you Google 2D Bike, you get lots of bike shops basically by that name. Uh, I had a lot of issues Googling her name, finding relevant sources because her but, last name is spelled b-i-k-e yeah but it's pronounced in russian tuti bike tuti bike yeah uh but she was uh basically ruled the city of durban in the late 18th century in mm-hmm. dagestan it's very famous mm-hmm. in dagestani history so anyways uh all that to say there's a really eclectic eclectic smattering of interesting and famous caucasus women from different different ethnicities peoples and religions throughout Caucasus history. Oh, that's a pretty big spread there, both yeah. chronologically and in terms of what they did. Yeah, we'll have a couple, we'll have some links if you are interested in reading more about them in the show notes. Um, like? save, so, you, save you the searching headache. Of, yes, that's uh, right. Uh, I did some serious Google searching to get the best searching. results. Uh, <laughs> so Christy, web. why don't we jump right in here? Um, if you had to describe what Caucasus women are like, what would you say? Oh man, I was thinking about this question and it was hard because um, I feel like a lot of times who Caucasus women are like in public and on the outside and who they are at home are really different. Um, I think in general, I mean, we kind of touched on this. Caucasus society tends to be very traditional with traditional roles. And in general, in a lot of the republics, there's the expectation that the ideal Caucasus woman be very conservative and demure and feminine. Mm. And um, 
I mean, I think obviously, like we talked about, not all caucus republics right. are Muslim, and not all caucus people are Muslim. But I think in general, like in Muslim society and in a lot of the caucus republics, there is the expectation and desire that women be covered and modest and mm. submissive and not like I mean, in general, like if it's a you know a mixed company group, often the women won't speak, yeah. and that's not or I it'll mean, be that separate. isn't just like. A characteristic of Islamic societies that's that you can find that traditionally in a yes, lot of yes, societies. yes, yes, yeah. yeah. And even to speak to that, like I was in several homes this summer where just the tradition is men, men are together in one room and women are together in another room, yeah. So, and would you say that the women themselves, um, well, you said on the outside, but you said kind of on the inside of the home, there's it's different. So I think, like, in general, the expectations are that's how women will behave in public and in society. And it's been really interesting for me, like, I mean, as an American woman, like, obviously that's not the societal expectations in the U.S. for American women. Um, but it's been really interesting to me talking to caucuses women. Like, they don't tend to view that as, like, something forced on them. They tend to view that as, like, something really positive like they as mm. well think that it's really positive for women to be you know modest and feminine and demure and that that to them like is something they value as well and they tend to value not all caucuses women but a lot tend to value like that traditional role um so and that kind of view of women in society. So uh, you're specifically referring to kind of how women carry themselves in public. Yes, yes, it's how okay. women carry themselves in public. It's really interesting. Um, once you get like behind closed doors yeah. with women, right? Um, and like Andrew said, a lot of times men and women are separate. Like you know, the men will eat in one room, the women will eat in the other. And if you're in mixed company, like the women won't, normally won't say anything, but when you get into a room when it's just the women. I mean, they'll just like talk and talk and be loud and noisy <laughs> and fun and like right. They, I feel like they can be like totally open. Um, mm. I think a lot of I don't know if it has to do with like the mountains and the history here and like in general. I mean, the Caucasus is not an easy place to like. I mean, the just like physically, right, right, like. It's, you know, high mountains. It's like, it's intense. Getting water is a big physical chore. Yes. The men have often, I mean, historically, like, been off at battle. And so women have really been responsible for, you know, manning the farms and keeping up the home and raising the kids. And so I think, like, on the outside, in public, like, a caucus woman is very gentle and demure. But underneath, like, historically caucuses women are extremely strong. I think that's an important point when we talk about traditional societies, looking at it through a modern lens, when we say domestic and home-oriented, we probably equate that with kind of soft because our homes in the West are very soft. Or passive yeah, here or it, is, it is not that way at all. Right, traditionally domestic is not like it's hard work. It's just a, a particular kind of work. Right. Whereas the men may have a, mm. a different focus, you know, in their work. Yeah. I, I mean, I look at caucus women and I think I could never do what they like. They are so, so incredibly tough. strong and tough. I remember mm. I lived in West Africa for a season of my life. And um, for a few weeks, um, the 
the guy we were working with um, was out of the country. He asked me to drive his car to be in charge of taking his kids to school and his wife to and from work when she had a job in the city. But uh, this is a really poor country, and so water is a good example. There's not running water in homes, mm. but there's a city of a million people. So there are taps, different places. And so we, you know, for, so for us, the four guys there, it was brand new. You'd get these barrels, you put them in your car, you drive, you fill it up. And, and it, you know, we don't normally lift 50 gallon barrels. And so um, I had had some water in the car and I picked up this gentleman's wife from work. And uh, I remember she reached in to help me with the, this huge thing of water. And my in- initial instinct was, no, 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 thanks. You know, don't worry about it. And she looked at me with a little bit of indignant uh, indignation. And she's like, we are African women and <laughs> basically contributing 90% of the strength of the project. She pulled the water out <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, you are definitely stronger than I am. Just physically <laughs> stronger. That's and awesome. It was a lesson, you know. Thanks, so she was thanks, very for feminine, being, but, yeah. thanks for being transparent about that. Oh yeah, um, it's, I'm happy to be transparent. That's awesome. One other thing though that you just said um, – the demure. I remember again from our interview with Khalid that he said he used the word shy. Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah. I think, in a sense, both for men and women, different ways, but mm. a reservedness is uh, a virtue here. Mm. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. And uh, so, besides what you just shared, uh, what about like relationally? Like, let's say uh, you are there like in the separate room with the women, like what is distinct about what Caucasus women are like? Yeah. Something I really, really love about, um, women and society in the Caucasus is women in the Caucasus tend to still live really communally. Mm. Like in the U S you know, you have your own house, you live with your husband and your kids maybe, And like, that's it. You're responsible for kind of figuring it out yourself as a wife and a mom and as a woman. Whereas in the caucuses, a lot of times people live with, you know, the mother-in-law and the grandma and the sister-in-law and maybe their younger sister. And like a lot of times people live like they'll have a big house or they'll have like a couple small houses all on the same piece of land. And they tend to live very communally. Mm. And so, I mean, in a lot of ways, like women have a lot of hard work here. I mean, a lot of families, you know, a lot of families keep cows and most people like have a really big garden where they grow a lot of their own food. I mean, even if a woman has a job and works like she still probably comes home from work and has to, you know, grow her cucumbers and tomatoes (laughs) and like caucus women all make their own cheese and they all can their own vegetables and but they don't tend to do it by themselves. They tend to do it really communally. And so. I mean, obviously, whenever you do anything communally, like there can be tough interpersonal relationships. I mean, there are jokes about mother-in-laws here, just like there are in the U.S. <laughs> yep. um, but in general, like women here raise their kids and they farm the land and they do the work and they do the chores together. Huh. Um, and that's something that I don't know. I mean, I as an American woman have look at that and I'm jealous of that. Like mm-hmm. I wish that. Yeah. You know, instead of just me washing the dishes in the kitchen by myself or hanging up the laundry, like I had a younger sister to do it with and my mother was there and my, you know, like, Mm. so I think, um, that's something really positive and they oftentimes make those things and those chores into something more fun because they're doing it together. Like Mm. if they're going to can, 
Right. You know, they're going to all four come together and can together for the day. Yeah. Instead of like, if I'm going to can something, I'm going to be in the kitchen by myself all day doing it. I mean, okay, let's be honest. I don't really, I only have canned stuff once <laughs> and it was really hard and I'm never going to do it again. Glad, glad I had to, but if you had friends, I didn't have to be change, the bad guy there. You would change the dynamic. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, so a lot of times like one woman will look after the kids while everybody else like weeds the garden together or does the laundry together or whatever. And so there's a lot more of that like communal yeah. aspect. And you know what else is added into that? A couple things come to mind is that it, you know, not only do many hands make light work in the sense that it's helpful just on the morale level, but so much wisdom is shared. And yeah. I've talked with both men and women in the U.S. who are kind of tired of having to just hunch over your computer and do some kind of Google search to find out how to fill in the blank. You know, you have all these ridiculous how-to sites, which people in more communal cultures wouldn't have yeah, needed. You don't in the have same to Google way. how to potty train your toddler. You ask your grandma. And yeah. the wisdom is there, you know. The other thing that that makes room for or I think facilitates is the creation of uh, folk arts because a lot of particularly music and songs relate to work. You know, uh, there's certain places in Dagestan, for example, where there's really rich carpet making traditions and there are songs that they sing. Sometimes that some women will be weaving while someone else is playing a drum and singing and it kind of all goes together. Hmm. And, you know, we may be inspired and create a song while doing dishes on our own, <laughs> but that's going to be you know, a different kind of thing. Hmm. Good stuff. So this question is for all of us. What, if you had to pick out a couple words to describe Caucasus women, like adjectives, what words would you use? Um, having taken a trip to Dagestan this summer, that's probably the the most direct and kind of saturated exposure I had to really Caucasus culture. Uh, a couple words are cheerful. Mm. I've noticed that the women we interacted with all had a kind of gusto to them. Yeah. Maybe sometimes bordering on forceful, but uh, cheerful was definitely one. Mm. Um, they usually struck me as really happy with, um, you know, life and meeting us and yeah. And, yeah, I would definitely say resilient is another one that mm. stands out for me. It goes without saying hospitable. I yes. mean, that that describes almost all Caucasus people, but yeah. Caucasus women are extremely hospitable. Yeah. One word for me that really sticks out is, you could group these together, but kind and compassionate. And we have two kids. Uh, Eli has three. Um, and like women here are just so kind and compassionate towards children. I've noticed that in basically every Caucasus home we've gone into, like they're, they're just so drawn to our kids and like want to play with them and like make sure they're comfortable. Um, and so I, I've really noticed that as a good, good characteristic of Caucasus women. I took all three of our children to the market the other day. Um, outdoor, that's a brave out, move. outdoor <laughs> food market, outdoor food. Thank yes. you. Outdoor food market, like a bazaar. Um, and I, you know, I was really proud of myself for thinking ahead. I packed some biscuits, some little cookies, you know, I was like, eat this on the way down there. Then we'll do the shopping. Then we'll get in the little mini bus and come home. Let me, let me, let's set the stage here. (laughs) Was your one-year-old in like a pack on you or were you pushing her in a stroller? I pushed her in the stroller. All right. So listeners, let me just 
set the stage. Tight, <laughs> tight alleys. Not good for strollers at all. No, there's like tons of broken with, steps. And, <laughs> and with it's just busy. Okay, continue. And a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. <laughs> um, but my point in the story is I thought I was really savvy, like giving them food, which of course they ate in the first, I mean, it's probably three-quarters of a mile down to the yeah, market yeah, sure. walk, um, and they ate them. But at the end, it was such a peaceful trip, and my wife asked how it went, and I told her I, I realized like, Every time I turned around, they had some other food product <laughs> in their mouths because people along the way were just handing them things. I was like, where did you get that? It's like the guy at the like window shop I didn't even go to stepped out on the street and, and handed them. Anyway, so but the majority of those were female uh, sellers at mm. the at the market who were just like, oh, you, you know, and talking to our children. You're so cute. Here's an apple. You're so cute. Here's food. Yeah, here's an apple. These were going to home. And, um, they never do that just to me. Seriously. So, so yeah, yeah. I just, that's a, I think an example. That's of the awesome. Kindness. That's hilarious. Probably pity. They're like, this poor man has no clue what to do here. This is where, uh, we, I, you give the disclaimer, uh, please don't try this at home. I will not be taking our kids to the market anytime soon. That's very brave of Eli. Andrew won't even take our kids to the market if he and I are both taking them to the market. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, good. So. Um, I hope listeners, you kind of that kind of helps you get a basic feel of, uh, in general, the good qualities of Caucasus women. Now, let's just tell some stories here because uh, stories help you understand honestly better in picture, kind of in context. Uh, Christie's, do you have any stories that you feel like kind of sum up well uh, how what Caucasus women are like, and because that kind of gives an image in people's head to stick with them. Yeah, so every time we go to visit a caucus family, part of culture here is you like take a gift and yeah. give a gift. And every time we've gone, we, you know, take what we think is a nice gift and every time you go like they end up giving you way more gifts and you close. pretty much like can't outgive caucuses. Yeah. <laughs> um families, but something um that has really stood out to me is Whenever I go like into a Caucasus family's home, the women always send me home with a bunch of food that they've made. Mm -hmm. Like they always send me home. And I know like it's a lot of work. Like, I mean, normally when I have guests over, like I cook them whatever meal they're coming for, but like I don't send them home with meals for <laughs> the next think, three days. Yeah, you're not thinking <laughs> about their future meals. <laughs> um, and I consider like, you know, my work done from like cooking that one dinner that people came over for. But whenever you know, and, and anytime I go to any of my caucus friends' homes, like they always send me home with a big block of cheese they've made or milk they've milked from their cows or, mm. you know, a bunch of um, like baked pastries that Canned they've vegetables. made. Yeah. Well, if I had a cow, I would. I mean, I would do it. I would send people home. It's just I don't have a cow. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Oh, we, we have one friend in particular I'm thinking of that always just sends us home with more than we came with. Um Cool. Uh, when you mentioned, Christy, about how Caucasus women do think communally, and uh, I had a really kind of eye-opening experience about that this summer. We we spent with some friends uh, four days. It was me and a bunch of my, my buddies. Uh, we were kind of hiking around the Caucasus, but we stayed three nights, four days in a Balkar family's home. And uh, so it's two families that live there. And so there's two moms, their sisters, or their sister-in-laws, sisters-in-law. <laughs> and then uh, 
they both have two older daughters who are cousins who are in their, their university student age. So basically four adult women, and I, I had not seen this dynamic at all before, but I mean, those women, they were, they were a cheerful machine. Like while we were there, like cheerful machine. we had total six of us guests and, uh, no, there were seven. Yeah. And so like the four of them, they were cooking all the food together. I mean, they were, a, before we could even try to lift a finger to clean the table, they had already gotten it all off the table. But like, it was really fascinating, like interacting with them and watching them. Like they really worked in community and like had joy in serving us and, that that was just really neat to see. You know what? I, I just want to drop. need to receive, oh, <laughs> I want to say. And for you to receive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it brings to mind something. Again, people might vehemently disagree with this, and we're all big kids, so that's fine. But I think a lot of times, like, culturally, people look to a particular role or a particular opportunity as something that'll make them happy, you mm-hmm. know? And some of the debate cult uh, like is traditional or modern better. It's like, well, which way of living is better? I tend to think that what is so, um, one reason that a lot of people in traditional societies show this kind of happiness is that there isn't a question, a deep question about what their role is. Mm. And my point with that is I think it's much more that dynamic that can, um, it's really satisfying whatever the role ends up being. But like I think you know you're fulfilling you, your purpose. You know you you know what what you're to do, and so mm. much of our society is filled with this angsty question of like, who am I and what am I supposed to be doing mm. in life? Yeah, there's not that question here. It's very no. clearly and set out of for course, you. There's there's you know there's there are two sides to that for sure. You know there's there's less opportunity or mobility, but I think we don't notice in the West that mm. so much of our cultural angst comes from everything being up in the air. So almost every day, particularly if you're a younger person, you're asked to invent and create mm. meaning. And that is so taxing. Mm. And so to have a place where it's like, I know what I'm supposed to do and I can do it with all you know my energy, whatever that role ends up being, whether it's more modern or traditional, I think actually can really bring a lot of, a lot of relief and joy. Mm. So that's my little sidebar unsolicited uh, cultural input. <laughs> good, in, good insight. My only story, not only story, but the one thing that comes to mind yeah. for me um, is more of a general observation, but the times I've been in, in families' homes with, with Caucasus women, I've been surprised by how um, kind of robustly the women will interact with me. You know, mm. um, there's a, like you said, in public, there's a demureness, there's a res- reservedness, and I, I don't pursue like conversations with ladies on the street, but at home, it's I just it feels very comfortable to me. Like mm-hmm. it feels very much like we're equals yeah. talking, which is definitely in Islam a core you know ideal is the kind of equality of peoplehood mm-hmm. or personhood. Um, but you know, it's not like I'm a I'm a I feel I'm on eggshells or I'm going to say right. the wrong thing. You know, they really put me at ease, and mm. sometimes yeah, they're women are often very willing to say, speak their mind, yeah. and give their opinion. Yeah. They tend to be pretty fiery. Yeah, which like, is different general. than you might get from an outward impression. Yes. Mm. Cool. I want to share one other, one last one. We'll kind of wrap up with Christy. Um, I have a uh, really interesting experience I had 12 years ago in Dagestan. 
and uh, me and some friends, uh, some American friends and some Dagestani friends, we set out to climb the kind of highest peak, mountain peak in this region where we were in the mountains. And uh, we left our village that we were staying in at probably, uh, I want to say it was like 4 p.m. And it took us much longer than we expected to get to like our destination village. And we, I mean, it was a crazy hike. We went really up high, then we went way down low. And then we basically lost our trail and in the dark had to hike, climb up this huge hill through the woods. And like, it was crazy, but we saw the lights in the dark and we made it to this village. And then we went to this village because one of the guys in our group thought that his dad had been there one time before. <laughs> and so according to custom Caucasus tradition, if you have ever been, first of all, you can knock on anybody's door and they will almost always let you in regardless as a guest. But if you've been a guest before, like you're always welcome back no matter what at any time without warning. And so he thought he remembered which home it was. Oh, wow. And uh, I think it was that home. He was like, hey, my dad was here uh, like eight years ago. Aught seven. Um, we have six of us guys. It was like 930 at night. And they were like, come in. What are you doing out there? Of course you can come in and stay with us. Wow. And so they fed us that night a huge meal. Um, the, my memory is vague a lot of it because I got sick that night and was puking. <laughs> and I, the next morning couldn't climb up to the next peak. I had to stay back. Uh, and uh, anyways, what's fascinating. So a lot of my memory is really vague about all that time. But I actually, I... I don't remember really any of the men or the women. What I do remember is they took really good care of us for probably 18 hours. Wow. And then we left the next afternoon back to our home. Uh, but I just want to say, like, I mean, I got sick in that home. <laughs> and they, those, those, it was definitely the women who took care of me. I, I don't remember any details at all. But, like, they fed us really well. They yeah. welcomed us in without question. And so, like, I honestly, I don't have a name or a face. A face, I don't remember the faces, and I, I don't remember any names. But, like, I feel like those women who took care of us in that home, like, that really, yeah. I just want to, like, uh, affirm that because, like, that experience is probably common to many people if you're listening across out there, the Caucasus. <laughs> I just want to say thank you. Yeah. Like, so, anyways, that's a, one of my stories I wanted wow. to tell. Yeah, something I've definitely noticed is um, Cox's people in general, and especially the women, they host and they serve without resentment. Mm. Like, I think it's easy. Um, Ooh, that is good. Something for me a lot of times, like if I've had a lot of guests, it's easy for me to like feel self-pity and be complaining about, mm. oh my gosh, this is so much work. Like, I mean, you guys know, like. Yeah. Having a lot of guests and having yeah. a lot of company, like it's a lot of work. It's extra cooking, it's extra cleaning, it's extra yeah. trips to the grocery store, it's extra expense. And like it's easy to, you know, feel self pity or complain about that. Whereas Cox's men and Cox's women, and I mean, normally, like when there's a lot of company, it's the women who carry the, carry the brunt of like the yeah. extra cooking and cleaning and stuff. Mm -hmm. But Cox's women like legitimately enjoy it. And they, I, something I've really noticed is, there's not that like underlying resentment. Like they mm. legitimately right. love having guests and love mm. hosting. Um, yeah, they're we, totally yeah, willing well, to just go above and beyond for and you. And often unexpected yes. guests. Yeah, yeah. 
That, that's the kicker for me. Because like, mm-hmm. we're Americans, we schedule everything. I love my calendar. <laughs> uh, but like, that's what, to uh, piggyback on that, like, the, being able to joyfully receive somebody without warning and then take all that, the responsibilities of hosting on, that to me is, I, I really want to grow in that area. And you pretty know, much every Caucasus woman is great at that. Yeah. For, I mean, in a, coming from a society in which time, time is money, you know, in terms of how we mm. value our time, uh, there's, that's one really powerful way to express um, honor or love for somebody is mm. just dropping what you're doing and giving them your time. I think yeah. no less in, you know, this society too. Um Everyone's got 24 hours in a day. So Hmm. it's a really powerful statement to do that. Yeah. Good stuff. So Christy, we ask every guest this question. uh, What is one thing you want to tell the world about the North Caucasus? This is your final question. Oh man. I don't know how to sum it up in one thing. Um, I was not originally excited about moving to the North Caucasus. Uh, Andrew tried to twist my arm about moving here for years and years before I, was, arms. Before I was willing to actually come here. Um, Again, this speaks to maybe some of the stereotypes. We, yes. we, we had a, an episode about this. And Christy lived in Russia before coming down to this part of Russia. Yeah. 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 I, I was definitely up for going to Russia. I wasn't up for moving to the Caucasus. And I have to say, since moving down here, I've realized that I really love the Caucasus. And I think I love it more than even regular, like, traditional Russia. Um, Wow. Big, big, big confession (laughs) there. Yeah. Very cool. The Caucasus, it's a really, it's, one, it's physically beautiful. I mean, the mountains are just gorgeous. Like, the land is absolutely beautiful. And that's something that I really appreciate just personally is Mm. physical beauty of nature. Um, But also the people here are very warm. They're very hospitable. Um, And it's just, I don't know, it's a really unique and interesting um, part of the world. There's so many different people, groups and cultures. Um, And so I feel like, you know, every day living here, you can learn something new about a different people group or a different culture. Yeah. Different Uh, family story. It's a really fascinating um, and unique and interesting part of the world. So yeah, I would definitely cool. recommend visiting. That's awesome. And you know, I'm always, Elena always saying, we can't wait to see you. We'll show you this place, but maybe Christy will show you or take you somewhere. Or maybe I'll let a caucus woman host you. Well, you can take with people. With joy. You can we take got the people, ladies places. We got we people can't go. in the places. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Christy, thanks so much for joining us. Um, we were... This was very helpful to our conversation, and I know our our listeners are probably even more grateful. They didn't just have to listen to me and Eli today. So thanks so much. Sure thing. All right. We have a awesome Caucasus News Minute. I love these. Yes. Okay, so I'm a huge sports fan. This has come out in podcasts before. Once or twice. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, this is really cool. The first ever Georgian athlete, so an athlete from the country of Georgia, won an NBA title this year with the National Basketball Association, professional basketball. Really? His name is Zaza Pachulia. Who 
wouldn't love the name Zaza. Zaza. Yeah, and he he played on the Golden State Warriors this past year. They won the NBA title, and so this is a huge deal in Georgia uh, because he's the first Georgian athlete ever to have gotten an NBA title. And uh, recently, the president rewarded him the Georgia Order of Honor. So, like, basically the highest honor you could For get. For basketball. And, and, yeah, basically representing Georgia on an international level. That's like a presidential yeah. thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, really cool. Uh, what, uh, what team was it? Golden State Warriors. Uh-huh. Yeah, they won in June. Uh, so, a little bit about him. He grew up in Georgia, um, in Tbilisi, the capital. And his father was a, uh, like a judo champion, Soviet judo champion, Soviet judo, martial arts. And his mother was, she played, she was a power forward on the Soviet women's basketball team. You're kidding me. Yeah. So like his parents were athletes Whoa. and when he was 14, his mom and dad had an argument about which sport they wanted him to pursue basketball or Or judo or basically wrestling or martial arts. Uh-huh. And so she showed him a picture of a wrestler with cauliflower ear. Oh, sick. No offense <laughs> like to just the ear yeah. is messed up a little from wrestling being torn out so much. And then a picture of a basically tall, beautiful looking basketball player <laughs> and said, who do you want to become? <laughs> and he chose basketball. <laughs> And so right around that, he was tall. He was like six foot six yeah. uh, and when he was 14. And so when he was 14, he and his father, they moved to Turkey, moved to Istanbul. And uh, I'm not sure if it was Istanbul. They moved to Turkey. But he played for an amateur uh, basketball team. And then he eventually started playing professional basketball in Turkey. Um, and basically, he got really good really fast. And he's played in the NBA since 2004 on different teams. I first knew that name because I used to be into fantasy sports, fantasy basketball, and oh, yeah. he was on my fantasy basketball team. I was I did fantasy sports one season for football. Okay. I yeah. remember um, creating a login. Yeah. And that was the last I saw of it. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the money to come rolling. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this is really funny about Zaza Pachulia. So uh, for the NBA All-Star Game every year, until this past year, um, always you would get on the all-star team based on the number of votes you got from fans. It was an online voting system. And Zaza got on the Ow. last, he almost started the last two all-star games uh-huh. because he got so many votes because everybody in Georgia voted for the him. The whole country <laughs> showed up to vote. He like... Playing caliber should not have been starting the all-star oh, game. okay. But he would get so many votes <laughs> that he would get on the team when maybe a guy who was actually much better wouldn't get on the team. Hey, and so the they changed the rules this past year. Because oh, of him. Yeah. So he calls it the Zaza rules. <laughs> but now only the fans vote only counts for 50, 50%. Now the media and players get to have a say in the vote too. Media? And basically Zaza said, you can thank Georgia the country of Georgia for these rules, right. uh, the Zaza rules. I like the Zaza and, uh, rules. You know, everybody I think has heard of Yao Ming. He was the first Chinese NBA player and really big in the 90s and the, the 2000s. Uh, but he made the, he started eight all-star games, even several seasons 
when he was injured and didn't play at all, he got the most votes because so many Chinese people voted for Man, him. I mean, having the country of Georgia behind you is one thing. Having the country of China behind <laughs> yes. you, that's a completely different yeah. thing. So anyways, uh, shout out to Zaza Pachulia, first ever NBA player from Georgia, from the Caucasus, to win an NBA title. Woo! That's awesome. And uh, I've, this really interesting article about kind of his life story. We're going to link to the show notes. Um, but yeah, found that in the news. There it is. Yeah. A little, you know, discontinuous from our topic today, but nevertheless, a great news minute. That's right. Yeah. That's right. While we're on it, I'll just let you know that the other night I saw a big scary dude at, at, a, at the McDonald's mm. wearing a Baltimore Ravens jacket. Wow. And... I didn't really feel up to trying to talk about it. I went up to him and said, your jacket, do you, do you know who it is? He Uh said, it's the Baltimore Ravens, American football. I said, do you like American football? He says, I play American football. Wow. I said, you play. Then he tells me he's on a team and there's a league in Russia. Never knew that. Um, and they, like his team is called the Stavropol, um, stones. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they got these. And it's got a great ring to it in English, the Stavropol Stones. It does. <laughs> I like it. And, uh, yeah, I watched some of the games online, and they were just mopping the floor with the other guys. Wow. So um, moral of the story is don't be scared by big, scary guys. That's right. <laughs> Start made, it, made a new friend. That's awesome. Well, good stuff. Uh, listeners, I hope uh, that was uh educational and i hope you enjoyed that uh, i'd love to hear your feedback about caucasus women if you have thoughts about caucasus men from our last episode and um and again our international listeners please let us know who are you how did you find our podcast japan who's listening from japan all over europe asia oceana and we're looking for our first Africa and South America listeners and Antarctica, of course, that goes without saying. We would love to have a very special gift for our first African and South American listeners. Yes. We promised a lot of gifts on this, on this episode. Uh, we would By we, I. I mean you, you promised. <laughs> yes. Well, people aren't taking us up on them. Let's just put it that way. If they'll email in and, and take us up, the gifts shall be forthcoming. That's right. All right. Uh, that's it, right? Anything else? That's all I got. Okay. Well, listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, This was episode 11 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. And we will see you when you get here.